of the Akedah. The Akedah is the binding of Isaac, and we just read the opening passage there from Bereshit, Genesis chapter 22, which talks about how God told Abraham to take his one and only son and offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Now, Rabbi Michael shared with us last night, and I don't know, maybe you didn't, uh, were not aware of this, I was not consciously aware of this myself, that this passage of scripture, Bereshit, Genesis 22, is read every day in the morning prayer time uh, in a traditional Orthodox synagogue, or if you read it on your own in your home, this is a passage of scripture that is read every single day in the Jewish tradition. Isn't that interesting? That's why we are looking at this passage, that it's read every single day, and it's read on Rosh Hashanah, obviously, because of the connection to this holiday with the ram and the horn and the blowing of the shofar. So that's why we were trying to understand the mystery of this. Why is it read every day of the year? Is there something God wants to communicate to us through this story of the binding of Isaac? So last night, Rabbi Michael spoke about the Bisserah. The Bisserah is a Hebrew word which means the good news. And the good news is about the coming of the Messiah, about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we uh, here at Beth Emanuel are Messianic believers, Jews and Gentiles, who believe that that promised Messiah is Yeshua. And Rabbi Michael talked about how the binding of Isaac in this story uh, symbolized what was to take place with the Messiah coming. And we was discussing this as a family as we was going home uh, last night, how Rabbi Michael pointed out that, you know, it said that Abraham looked and he saw this, this ram, right? And he saw this uh, behind him in the whole discussion of that verse. And I don't want to go into it because my husband spoke eloquently last night. You can listen to the podcast to hear it. But also from the New Covenant where it talks about where Yeshua says that Abraham saw me and he rejoiced. And how it was like a future scene that Abraham saw there in this whole uh, event that took place as he took his son up on Mount Moriah. And that, as we read through the different rabbinic passages that speak about how Isaac died and was resurrected. Now, when you read in Genesis 22, as my husband pointed out last night, the Bible does not say that. But it's so steeped in Jewish tradition and scholars from, you know, centuries ago, thousands of years ago, that there was this understanding in Judaism that that's what took place. Symbolically, he died and he was resurrected again, those passages sharing last night, but typifying and symbolizing the Messiah, who did indeed die, who was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. So this morning, I want to conclude this message by looking at two other aspects of the Akedah to encourage us that God wants to communicate something to us through this passage, not just on Rosh Hashanah, but again, that it's read every single day. It's a significant passage uh, in Judaism, and I think God wants us to fully understand it. So the second thing is about the shofar and the Messiah. So think about this ram that was caught by its horns in the thicket there as Abraham was about to, uh, to sacrifice his son, and as the knife went down, uh, it, you know, God stopped him, and Abraham looked up, and there was this, this ram. 
So one writing, Jewish writing, says that the shofar blown at Mount Sinai when the Torah was given, which was after Abraham, that took place under Moses, uh, came from the ram which had been sacrificed in place of Isaac. So it says that the left horn was blown for a shofar on Mount Sinai, and its right horn will be blown to herald the coming of Mashiach. The right horn was larger than the left, and thus concerning the days of Moshiach, it is written, on that day a great shofar will be blown. So Jewish tradition says that this ram is significant because the horns of the ram two of the, the, were used for two different reasons. One was blown on Mount Sinai, and the other will be blown to herald the coming of Messiah. And it's called that great shofar, which we read in a lot of our pieces of liturgy already today, because that right horn was larger than the left. Interesting, right? So this Midrash tells us that these two horns became the two shofars of God. So should this be accepted, or is it a concern that the shofar road of Sinai and Messiah come from the ram connected to the story of Yitzchak? Again, what is God speaking to us, and what are the rabbis trying to understand? Have they talked about this? Well, yes, they have. So one rabbi, Bechayah, says this, was not the ram burnt as a burnt offering together with its horns, skins, and flesh? So how could this be the source of the shofar that was blown on Mount Sinai? Again, if you read through all of Genesis 22, which we don't want to take the time to read the entire chapter here this morning, we read those opening verses in our Torah service, but the fact is that that, that ram was offered in its entirety on the altar. So this rabbi is discussing this. He wants to be sure of these claims that these two horns actually became the horn that was blown on Mount Sinai and the horn that will be blown for the coming of Messiah. And the source where this discussion is taking place, whenever you read any rabbinic sources, it's usually a group of rabbis discussing, and one rabbi says this, and another says that, and they're answering. So in this source where Rabbi Becheya is asking this question and trying to discern what's going on, it gives an answer to his question by saying, God created a new ram out of the ashes. Interesting. So, according to the rabbis, they feel the ram was resurrected. And in that resurrection, it then provided the shofarot that would be used in those two cases for the Torah and for the coming of Messiah. So once again, we have this connection in Jewish thought between the resurrection and the Messiah. You see where we're going? This is really important. There's, again, this story that is read every day of the year. You know, there has to be some meaning behind this and understanding it. So as Rabbi Michael talked about how the rabbis felt Isaac was raised from the dead, the rabbis also feel that the ram was resurrected. And as it being resurrected, the, those horns, as I said, for the Torah and for the coming of Messiah, this connection with the Messiah. Another scholar commenting on this ram from the uh, story of the Akedah says this, there's an interesting textual problem around the description of this ram. It is an anomalous grammatical form in verse 13. You're like, what in the heck does that mean, Rabbi Carroll? <laughs> Listen, it's caused many a rabbi to scratch his head. The verse literally reads, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram after caught in the thicket. So that Hebrew word achar, which means after, uh, its appearance in the text here 
is clumsy and misplaced, as you could hear when I read it literally. And even trying to smooth it out, it creates problem uh, for scholars and translators. So the most uh, uh, widely accepted is the tradition that says, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket. But the sages struggle with this one word, and rightfully so, trying to figure out how it all fits in. You're like, wow, over one little word, right? So, so what does it mean? Was the ram behind Abraham? So one commentator suggests that it means it was caught in the thicket only after Abraham saw it. Another says that it was after the preceding events, the offering of his son, that Abraham saw the ram. Another opinion has it that Abraham saw the Acharit Hayamim, the last days, again, the prophetic looking forward that God gave him eyes to see, which goes to the scripture Rabbi Michael shared last night, how Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it. So we know that Abraham did prophetically see into the future, which was not uncommon in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible, where God gave uh, men and women uh, who followed him uh, eyes to see something in the future. So this is, uh, even the rabbis think that, that perhaps this is what it is. Other explanations, and all of them are possible, but none seem really to completely answer this question, where and when did Abraham see the ram? So more literally, the construction of the sentence, this article goes on to say, implies that he saw the lamb afterwards. So some have suggested that perhaps it's a reference, again, to this prophetic vision, and that is being implied is that he looked up and he saw not just this ram caught in the thicket, but he saw the future sacrifice, one that would come long after his day, that would be the sacrifice of the Messiah, that would take away the sins of the world, as we read from the book of Messianic Jews. So, your father, Yochanan 8, 5 through 6, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. He saw it and was glad. Pirgei Avot, a Jewish writing, tells us that ten things were created at twilight on the eve of Shabbat. They are the mouth of the earth that swallowed Korach, the mouth of Miriam's well, the mouth of Balaam's donkey, the rainbow, the manna, the staff of Moshe, the shamir, the writing, the inscription, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. But some also say that the burial place of Moshe and the ram of our father Abraham was created at that point for what was to come, right? So from the foundation of the earth. So it's telling us that this ram was created for a purpose since the first day of creation, so when God creates things, he has a reason and a purpose. So all of these things were created you know, in advance for the purpose that God had ordained for them. So Yitzchak's ram was prepared for sacrifice since the, sound, since the foundation of the world. So let us look to another passage in the New Covenant found in Kepha Aleph. And this man, uh, who was a Jewish believer in Yeshua from the first century, very familiar with Jewish tradition, and look at what he says. It was the costly, bloody, sacrificial death of the Messiah as of a lamb without defect or spot. God knew him before the founding of the universe, but revealed him in the Acharit Hayamim for your sakes. 
So think about it. God revealed him in the end of days, so 2,000 years ago, Messiah was revealed. But he knew him from the foundation of the world, right? And even the book of Revelation says that before the foundation of the world, even before the Lamb of God was slain, right, the Messiah. In other words, it was ordained and decided that that is what was going to take place. Yeshua willingly said, I will go and I will offer myself as a sacrifice to atone for sin. And when we look at the Hebrew scriptures, and, and, and again, the prophetic picture that they paint for us, and even the rabbis understanding, even though many rabbis don't believe as we do that Yeshua is the Messiah, they still see a reference to the Messiah in this story of the Akedah, not just in Isaac himself, but also in this ram that was caught in the thicket. So for you and I today, is God trying to reveal something to us that we would have a better understanding of a passage of scripture that is not just central to this day, but to every day in the Jewish prayer service in the morning? Significance to it. Shouldn't we understand the significance of it? So this ram, resurrection, connected to Messiah. God saw him before and revealed him in the end. Abraham saw into the future the Messiah that is to come. God wants you to see his Messiah. As we come here on this day, you know, traditionally, if you read through the passage in Leviticus uh, about celebrating Yom Teruah, someone was talking to me last night, it's not called Rosh Hashanah in the Hebrew Bible, it's called Yom Teruah, which is the day of the sounding of the shofar. Part of that uh, celebration and commemoration is to offer an animal sacrifice. No one offers an animal sacrifice today. But why is the animal sacrifice needed? Because this season, this 10 days of awe, is all about atonement. And there's only one way for our sins to be atoned for. The Hebrew scripture tells us in Vayikra Leviticus that there is life in the blood, and the blood makes atonement for our sin. So I think it's really important for us to understand this mystery because it is pointing to us, us towards that means of atonement that God has provided for us as Jewish and non-Jewish people. Remember, the Messiah was promised not just to bring salvation to Israel, but so that all the nations could know. Israel was to be a light to the nations, the prophet told us. So as we enter into 5779, and as we enter into these 10 days of awe and of reflecting in things, looking to Yom Kippur, where our fate traditionally for the year will be sealed, don't you want to know that your name is in the book of life? Right? Well, there's only one way for that name to get in that book, and that's that your sins are atoned for. And that's what the coming of Messiah is all about, and that's what the Akedah points to and foreshadows. One last thing I want to look at, and then we'll uh, hear the call of the shofar before we go up for lunch. And this is looking again at Yitzchak, this time talking about his ascension, which might be new to some of you, and the Messiah's return. So many Jewish sources are focused on this mystery of the Akedah, and one story is centered around Yitzchak's absence at the end of uh, the story here in Bereshit 22. This is what the Torah tells us in chapter 22, verse 19. So Avraham returned with his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Avraham dwelt at Beersheba. Makes no mention of Yitzchak at all. Where is he? Where did he go? 
Think about it. At the beginning of the story, which we read in our Torah service, it's very clear to tell us Isaac went with his dad. Abraham took two servants and his son, his one and only son, and went up to the mountain that God chose. Now, at the end of the story, we don't see Isaac. He's not here. Where did he go? What happened to him? Well, there are a couple different traditions uh, about this. We don't see Yitzchak, if you keep reading through the book of Bereshit, until he meets his wife, Rivka. Okay? So one writer says, there are two contradictory traditions explaining his absence. The most widely accepted and well-known explanation is that Yitzchak remained in uh, Salem, which would become Jerusalem, to study under Melchizedek. So we know him, right, that uh, Abraham uh, met him. But there's another tradition which explains his absence also. From the Midrash Haggadol, it says, And Yitzchak, where was he? The Holy One, blessed be he, brought him into the Garden of Eden, Gan Eden, and there he stayed for three years. So this is a Jewish tradition that he was taken into to paradise, into Gan Eden. After the sacrifice at Mount Moriah, Ginsburg says, Abraham returned to Beersheba, the scene of so many of his joys, but Isaac was carried to paradise by angel, angels, and there he stayed for three years. So Abraham returned home alone. So in this explanation of the absence of Isaac, what the rabbis are saying is that he ascended into heaven after the Akedah. And as ridiculous, and as my husband loves this word, fantastical, <laughs> that he said last night, as fantastical as it sounds, it does resemble a story of another Jewish man who was bound, sacrificed, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, namely Yeshua. So, again, these are rabbinic traditions. It's not in the text of what happened. We just don't see him for three years. But it's interesting that the rabbis from days, ancient days came up with this explanation that he ascended into heaven, thinking of the foreshadow of this whole story of Isaac, how it points towards the Messiah. Let's look at one other rabbinic source, the Minchat Yehuda. And this describes Isaac as he's coming to meet his wife, Rebecca. And Isaac came from the way of Berlechai Roi. And Isaac went out, it says. The rabbis say, well, from where did he go out? From paradise. It says, no wonder Rebecca lost her equilibrium, as it says, and she fell from the camel. For what she perceived was Isaac coming down from paradise. And you thought it was his good looks, ladies, right? <laughs> Maybe he was good looking, too. Interesting concept, right? Within a Jewish tradition that Isaac ascended and then came back down to meet his bride. Does it sound familiar? We know that Yeshua is going to return, as we said at the end of our Amidah, for his bride, right? And that he did ascend after his death and burial. Again, going to Rabbi Michael's point last night, the rabbis feel that Isaac did die 
and was resurrected. Anyone else seen the connection? Right? Isn't it amazing, right? Look with me in the New Covenant, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from one of the ruling angels, and with God's shofar, and those who died united with the Messiah will be first to rise. Then we who are left alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be always with them. So encourage each other with these words. Coming back. Isaac came down to meet Rebekah. Messiah coming down to meet his bride. We are called the bride of Messiah in the new covenant. As you close, just look at some more similarities that we won't go into detail, but just for you to reflect. Similarities between the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, and between Yeshua the Messiah. In the Tanakh, we see that Yitzchak was Abraham's only son. In the Bricha, the Shah, we are told that Yeshua was God's only son. In the Tanakh, Abraham and Yitzchak saw the mountain on the third day. In the Brith Chadashah, Yeshua was raised on the third day. In the Tanakh, Yitzchak carried the wood on his back and also placed his back on the wood when he was put on the altar. In the New Covenant, Yeshua carried the wood on his back and was bound onto that same wood with his back placed on, on it as he was hung on that tree of sacrifice. Just thinking about the word akadah, what does it mean? The word is derived from a Hebrew word, akod, which is translated as bound in verse 9 in the Genesis story there in chapter 22. It also means uh, ringed or striped. And Rashi explains that the use of this verb refers to the stripe-like marks left by ropes on the ankles and wrists of a person who is tied hand and foot. Someone who was bound in this manner would bear the marks of the ropes on their skin. And so from this verb, we get the word akadah. Therefore, this entire story is named after the marks left on Yitzchak's body. Does it remind you of someone else who had marks put on their body? Yeshua, right, bore marks for us. He was beaten and bruised, the stripes on his back. In the Tanakh, it predicted that a lamb would be seen on Mount Moriah. And a substitute ram placed Yitzchak. And the Brit Chadashah, Yeshua, was the substitute lamb for all Jewish people and for the nations. In the Tanakh, Abraham took Yitzchak to Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And the Brit Chadashah, Yeshua, had to go to Jerusalem to die there and to be sacrificed there. So I ask you, are all of these illusions just happenstance or imagine? Is it just coincidence? Even the most ardent skeptic will have to admit that there's a unique similarity between the story of Yitzchak and the story of Yeshua. And perhaps agree that maybe it is a foreshadowing of the Messiah to come. Think of it right down to the choice of that single word, the Akedah. Because Yeshua, as we said, was bound for sacrifice in the same manner with his wrist and ankles marked that will be marked for all eternity so maybe the Torah is trying to tell us something a mystery that's meant to be solved discovered and revealed so perhaps God has brought you here today so that your eyes can be open to see this mystery 
or for those who already have a faith in Messiah to strengthen your faith and your understanding of who he is and what he has done for you. You may say, well, Rabbi Carol, that's a lot to try to digest (laughs) and go through. As a Jewish person, we've been told Yeshua doesn't, uh, he's not kosher for us. And my response would be two things. One, sit, come and sit and talk with me and my husband. We can go through the scriptures in more detail because I get it. It's a lot that you're hearing here today. And the second thing, if Yeshua is the Messiah, like I believe and many in this congregation believe, and if he is the Jewish Messiah, wouldn't it be the most Jewish thing you could ever do to accept him as your Messiah? Right? And combine that with the fact that during this season of, of the year, more than any other season on our Jewish calendar, this is all about atonement. Okay? Again, we're going to be celebrating in 10 days Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Why do we need atonement? Again, throughout the Torah, it clearly lays out, and I don't want to go into the detail. I would love to sit and discuss with you if you have questions, but the simple answer is because we blew it. We sinned. And Leviticus is full of all the whole sacrificial system that God set up in order to deal with the sin issue of mankind because he loves us. But as we read from the New Covenant in our Torah service, Yeshua came, and he didn't offer the blood of bulls and rams like the Kohen Hakadol, the high priest, did year after year, pamim, you know, rabot, many times. He offered his own blood once and for all so that my sins could be atoned for and so that your sins could be atoned for. And as my husband concluded his a part of the message last night, it all comes down to one word, faith. You have to put your faith in God's provision for you. God has made a way for your sins to be atoned for and my sins to be atoned for, and that is through the once-for-all sacrifice of the promised Jewish Messiah. And the story of Isaac foreshadows and points to him. And we want to encourage you today that perhaps you are here, not because just because someone invited you, although they might have, and we're glad for that, not just because you received a flyer at one of the fairs we were at this weekend or this, this past summer, which is great if that's how you came here, but perhaps you're here by divine appointment. Perhaps you're here because God wants to reveal to you the mystery of the Akedah to show you that your Messiah has come. And he has made atonement for your sins. And that today, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that your name is written in the book of life. I have that confidence. Trust me, not because of anything I have ever, ever done. I continually blow it. Ask my family sitting on the front row, okay? But because of God's great compassion and love towards me. And because one day I said yes to the Messiah of Israel. I said, I believe, I accept what you did on my behalf. My sins were washed away, and my name was written in the book of life. And that could be you today. 
So I'm going to lead us in the prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to pray for us. Again, I get it. If this is your first time to a Messianic congregation, this may be a little overwhelming to you. And that's okay. We've all been there before. Okay? But be open. Be open. That perhaps God is trying to speak to you. And again, my husband and I would love to sit down and look with you in more detail through the Hebrew scriptures to show you why we have come to this conclusion. So join me in this prayer. Adonai, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for providing atonement for my sins. I choose today to accept your atonement for me. I accept Yeshua as my Messiah. Amen. Amen. You said that prayer and you meant it, even if you don't fully understand everything, it's the best decision you will ever, ever made. I made that decision when I was six years old, and uh, my life was forever changed for the good. And uh, so just encourage you to come and speak to me and my husband more about it. And again, even if there's things that you don't understand, we want to be able to sit and show you again through the Hebrew scriptures how we have come to conclude and to believe what we believe. At this time, I'd like to call our shofar blowers up. Someone was saying last night.